Hello, you are listening to The Power of Investing in People with Shay Sparks. I had the honor of being on the show with Shay and wow, how authentic she is and how much I know that she wants to keep hope alive in the community. So thank you all for joining. And everyone here today, I'm offering a special to all active duty or retired military to my all access on-demand training where we learn how to dream, believe, and achieve our best life. Please visit at timlanefitness.com and I'll see you all soon. Enjoy the show. From being the president of a couple of Fortune 500 companies to becoming a motivational speaker and author, Harry Campbell shares his journey about company culture, helping his wife through cancer, and how we are all in the people business. Stay tuned to his inspiring story. You won't want to miss it. Welcome to the Power of Investing in People podcast. I am your host, Shay Sparks, Chief Excitement Officer of Sparks of Fire International, where we get you fired up about your life and business by transforming trauma into treasure. Check out my new co-author collaborative book called Hashtag Firestarters, How to Be a Spark of Hope in the Midst of Change on my website at shaysparks.com. And I invite you to connect with me on all my social media links that you'll see there, like Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and LinkedIn. And today, our guest is the amazing Harry Campbell. So welcome to the show, Harry. (laughs) Thanks. I'm kind of irritated. You have a cooler title than anything I've ever had in my entire 35 years of working. My inside voice says, just, just wrong. <laughs> chief excitement officer. Well, I bet you're a chief excitement officer too. <laughs> well, maybe I am, but I've never been called that or had it as a title. I put it on my darn business card. I hope you did. I do. I do actually. Yes, I do. And you bring excitement, Harry, so you should use it as well. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, I may, if I do, I'll at least uh, try to remember to footnote that with regard to where I got it, which was you. Perfect. Perfect. And we've met, well, we were just discussing three or four years ago, possibly at, was it, did you say FinTech? What? Yeah, it was uh, the, the bank that's on uh, Ward Parkway around 81 or 8200 Ward Parkway that was doing the FinTech uh, startup support stuff. Really cool facility. They had like a internal amphitheater in the uh, bank. Yes. Yeah, it was beautiful. The beautiful space. And you spoke on CultureCon with our mutual friends, Joel Goldberg and Aaron Folk. So glad to yeah. finally have you on the show because the, both of them have been too. Ah, excellent. I'm fired up to be here. Great. So for those of you who don't know, Harry S. Campbell is a senior executive with a strong track record of success over 35 plus years, and he's only 39. (laughs) Campbell has been a president of two Fortune 500 companies, a co-owner of an award-winning small business, CEO and board member of an internet startup, and founding member of the industry-changing Walmart and Procter & Gamble customer team. He has driven exceptional people and business results in organizations of five to 3,500 employees in a broad range of industries from consumer packaged goods to telecom to sports marketing and to digital media. He is known as an identifier, developer, and motivator of exceptional talent at all levels of the organization. He also has a passion for speaking on leadership and comp- to companies, organizations, and groups. His books are Get Real Leadership, 
Get Real Culture and a Get Real Mindset are available on Amazon and Kindle. He donates 100% of his gross speaking fees and book royalties to brain cancer research in honor of his wife, Chris. Mm, You're just a man after my own heart, Harry. Thank you. And you can find out more about him on his website at harryscampbell.com. And that'll be in the show notes as well. Well, gosh, Harry, you have such a, an amazing story. So I can't wait to dive in. And I always like to start off with the first question of what does investing in people mean to you? Invest to me, that word means to pour into. So my answers are very straightforward. I want to treat the people in my organization so well they can't stand it. I'm amazed. I have a statement, so that's my answer. I have a statement about the cultures and um, the environment that I tried to build when I joined, and it plays directly from that, and it's the result. What I want to do is have a culture that people desperately want to work in. And I like to use dramatic words because it forces you to pay attention specifically to that word. If I want you to desperately want to work in my organization, I better be doing things that stand out and are differentiating. Mm, That's wonderful. So do you, as your experience, do you find that being a leader in developing culture, it has a key component of investing in its in its people, in the organization's people. Absolutely, 100%. The second book I wrote, Get Real Culture, was directly attributed to that kind of statement you just made. And whenever I've started a job and the organization that I have joined has something on the wall that says the customer's first or the customer's always right, I love that because I I get a little dramatic, but I basically say we're stopping that. Mm. No longer true. And what I say is it is team first or employees first. Mm -hmm. Once they are taken care of, they're the ones that take care of the customers. The customers follow. The results are the ones that you measure and you get feedback from and then you start the circle again. So team first, followed by customers, followed by results. And I love doing that once again. it's, it's It's a little startling to hear it the first time. But once you've heard it and you understand it, you get it because I'm not going to be serving customers. It's it's the organization and the people, and therefore I want to make sure that they are being taken care of in a way that they just can't stand it, so they stop worrying about that, how they're taken care of, and they take care of business with regard to our products or our competitors that we have or our positioning or whatever I need them to do or we need them to do as a business. Hmm. You know, this is why I wanted you on the show. (laughs) (laughs) Because I wholeheartedly believe that we have been – forced into that mindset of customer comes first. And you're absolutely, in my opinion, 100% spot on with the team first because happy people make happy people. So you're right. So you're building up this team, creating them to really, you know, making sure that they're taken care of, just like you said. And in return, they're going to be so excited to come to work. They're, they're, the um, customers are going to be like, wow, this is a great place to work. Of course, I want to do business with them, right? I mean, it's like a no-brainer. <laughs> you're, you're exactly right. Everybody can think of two, four, six companies right offhand that this comes into play with, and it's readily recognizable. Southwest Airlines, by the way, yes. their employees are happy. Right. You can't fake it. I, I, I am... 
I love them as a business and I love the way they operate with me and the processes they have and their employees are joyful. I'm thinking this is kind of pretty cool. If you're going to work in the airline industry or you're working in the industry, that's not a bad company to work for. And it's not exactly a sexy business, but what they've done is they figured out a way to make the culture right. And I'm sure that goes right back to Herb Kelleher, the founder. Yeah, definitely. You know, what comes to mind too is Zappos. Zappos has a great culture as well. And I know that there's a company here locally in Kansas City, Pro Athlete, that make just bats and just balls. They are just gloves. They do the same. You know what? Those are two excellent examples. In fact, um, Zappos is uh, a little bit crazy, smart crazy. You go through a pretty long training period. I don't want to get into details because I don't know them all. I think it's a six or eight week training period. And at the end of it, they offer you a whole lot of money not to take the job. Wow. And I believe it's $5,000. It's changed over time depending on their hiring needs. And so they say, we, you, you, congratulations, you finished it. You can either have the job or take $5,000 and be gone. And they had to continually raise that number that they were paying because people wanted the job. They didn't take the bonus. And I, and I thought that, that's a tribute to their culture. Um, I'll add two more to the list for those taking uh, names at home. Yes. Quick Trip is, is amazing. Quick Trip. Uh, Quick Trip. They're based out of Oklahoma. I heard their CEO talk, and he talks about this, and he's extraordinary in terms of his communication about the people importance. And the other one is Costco. I laugh. I love to talk about Costco, Quick Trip, and Southwest because they're in industries that are typically just, they're not cool. The convenience store business, right? airline business, and Costco is basically a concrete slab that sells stuff. It's true. Very true. They're people, I'm telling you, they're joyful. I think that has to be reflective of not just the leader, not just the culture, but also the the processes you put into place to make sure it stays that way so you continue to have that strength. So, you know, what's coming up for me is just thinking about how all the experience that you have and all the different range, uh, array of different areas, I'm just thinking I wonder if you have ever gone through a, a, a difficult time, a rough patch or an obstacle of some sort where you were like, no, this stops with me. And now we really need to shift leadership into investing in people. Was it something that you experienced or is it something that kind of gradually just kind of shaped you over uh, the course of? I, I think I understand the question and it has to do with my roots. Uh, out of business school, I started at Procter & Gamble. The first seven years of my career, I was in marketing at, uh, it's a conservative, large multinational, but at the end of the day, they're an extraordinarily well-known company with regard to how they operate and how they fundamentally train people. One of the things they do is they, they train you that in order to really be successful, it isn't just the products. They're hugely important because they sell brands like Secret and Tide and Crest. But it's also the people because the people are the ones that make things happen and have the ideas. And they're the ones that if you set them free and give them the, the permission not to worry about their personal stuff at work, mm-hmm. they're not worried about their benefits, they're not worried about layoffs, they're not worried about a bad boss who might throw something at their head. If you train people like that, what happens is you you get this um, unleashing that enables you to beat most people because most companies have enough junk going on internally, you can define junk any way you want, that they take 15 to 30% of the energy of the organization is into trying to either gossip about these things, whine about these things, or try to fix these things instead of trying to figure out how to steal or grow share of the toothpaste category by beating Colgate if you're Crest. And if your energy is going in the wrong direction, 
it's going to stay there because that means you care and it bothers you and it's what you're going to work on. Mm-hmm. And, and you can't, you can't do anything about that. I have a, a mantra that I uh, talk about that whether it's Dury Vision, which is uh, less than 30 people or Sprint or Embark, which is tens of thousands, the issues that, that come up are exactly the same. Operationally, the jobs are wildly different. The businesses are different, but not the issues. And this is why, Shay, people hire people. People fire people. People follow people. People promote people. People meet with people. The, these issues are very, very understandable if you just pay attention and really have a focus that says, I need this to go away. What can I do to make it right so that we can get on to what we need to be working on instead of having a meeting about how many happy hours we need to have so people will be happier? Right. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it just is phenomenal to me about how much people don't realize they're actually in the people business. Right. I love that statement. Everybody's in the people business, yes, right? Yes. I, I sometimes laugh if I'm in, I, I've been, had the chance to be in a couple of interview situations in the last 15 years. And I laugh because I, I was asked, what's my superpower? Mm-hmm. And I, and being an Avenger fan, I, the first thing I think of is who I like. Thor's my man. I like the guy. Thor, of course, with the hair. Yeah. No, well, I was thinking of the hammer. You're thinking of the hair. Okay. They got it. Yes. There's, there's a male female perspective right there. Right. And 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 I thought about it, and and I the answer I give is I, I treat people extraordinarily well, so that they desperately want to work uh, with me or around me, and I do that because first of all, it's the right thing to do. Yes. Second of all, if I were them, I would want that to happen. And third of all, it helps me as a leader. All of a sudden, people want to join. I get to pick better people. The the people I have don't turn over. And one of the insidious problems of um, business is turnover. Because your good people are constantly having to train new people. What's happening is you're, you're doing all this interviewing and hiring. Your energy is not going to what you want it to go to. Mm-hmm. And if you get great people that stay, you don't do that. You're worried more about how you're going to grow. And, and I think that folks miss that. And it isn't just bad cultures that have a problem. If you have a mediocre culture, it's eh. So you get, you get a star employee that all of a sudden after three years, four years, like, eh, I think I'll go somewhere else. They didn't run from you. They didn't hate you. But you didn't give them any reason to stay. Right. How silly is that? And then when they tell you, what do you do? You throw yourself in front of a door frame. You start doling out dollars. And they look at you and like, I'm sorry, I didn't come to negotiate. I came to tell you that I took another job. Right. You've had plenty of time to have done what you say you're going to do, mm-hmm. which is make the, the culture better or the, the take care of your people better. You haven't done it. So I'm moving on. You know, that actually happened to me. I left a, a position and six months later, they came coming back and offered me a partnership. And I was like, it's too late. Yes. <laughs> I'm, on, I'm good. I do some mentoring and coaching for startups and small businesses. I love going down to the crossroads and I don't want to make a business about it because then I have to like hold myself accountable and do to do's and stuff. I don't want to do that. But one of the things I tell folks that, that once they've got to any size, whether it's 20 or 50 or a hundred is think about the number one person or number two person in their organization with regard to who they couldn't afford to, or don't want to lead. Mm. Can't lose them. And I say, ask yourself, don't just go out and do something willy-nilly, but ask yourself, have you told her? 
-hmm. Have you given them a raise? Have you given them a bonus? Have you given them recognition or reward? I don't care what it is. Because if you haven't, then how do they know? And they might be being recruited and, and looking at another job, not because they hate you, but because they're like, yeah, I'm not sure. It is so simple to think, who should I not lose? And how? Can, what can I do to try to solidify our relationship and do what my words say? My actions need to follow up on that. Mm. Which, you know, brings me to just thinking about different leaders. How have you have you come across where you have met leaders who are the do as I say, but not as I do? And so they're and they're not really leading from a place of example. They're just barking orders. Have you come across leaders like Can I say hell yeah or do <laughs> I need the answer is yes. And the reason is because humans, you'd like to think that everybody treats people like with the golden rule and they pay attention to uh, their body language, their words, their tone. They don't. Without names, I've had three bad bosses. I've had 24 bosses in my career. Mm. Um, when you've worked long enough, the numbers mount pretty heavily. It makes you <laughs> flinch. And I've had three bad ones. And one of them was bad because they were in over their head and should never have gotten the job they were in. Mm. I kind of feel sorry for them a little bit. It doesn't help you at all, but it's different. The other two were bad because they were horribly inconsistent with how they treated people. And they were very me-oriented. I'll call that positional power. It's it's the parenting thing you don't want to do, which says, because I said so, I'm your, because I'm your dad. Right. <laughs> but it, you, you use that if you have to, but I always like to say you get one of those a year. It's just like a mulligan. You get one of those because you may have to take a mulligan off of it. But the, these two bosses I had operated that way. Mm -hmm. And I, I must admit, I, I'd end a week and I'd go home and I'd think, how much of my bandwidth did I waste this week? Mm. Paying attention to how I was being taken by the boss and whether I was okay. If I was, was I on the good side or the bad side? And what? What okay, he said this. What did that really mean? I mean, I, I was putting so much energy into it. I said, wow. this is nuts. That's why I decided my whole goal as an org was to get to 95% efficient productivity. You can never get to 100. Welcome to humans, right? So humans are going to do a little complaining about the boss a little bit or about a coworker or uh, their chair's too wobbly or whatever. They're just, they're right. bless, bless people. <laughs> End of the day, if you can get the controllable junk out of the way and get to the point where people are doing 95%, most companies are probably in the 65 to 75. You're already going to kick their tail right there. If you've got really good people that are hitting at 95, stand back. This thing is rocking. Yeah. That's awesome. So how important do you think self-awareness is for leaders? What's my scale, 1 to 10? Am I going to give a spinal tap 11? That uh, shows you my age. <laughs> in my book, Get Real Leadership, I, I divide it into three sections, getting real with yourself, your the people around you, up, down, and sideways, and getting real with your business. The reason why I start with getting real with yourself is I, I fundamentally believe it is not possible to be a medium to long-term successful business person or leader unless you can lead yourself and you understand yourself mm -hmm. and you have self-awareness. You just can't because yes. people are going to shut down eventually. They're going to be like, oh, he keeps telling me this, but that ain't even the way he operates. 
and and you get that side conversation and and then all of a sudden um you've lost credibility and you can't get there that that's why i spend so much time thinking about and 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 paying attention to people's personal brand my own particularly because your personal brand is 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 really how you're being reflected to the world and what they're thinking of you as a result of that and i'm telling you there's not much more important if you think you're some sort of strategic genius and the world thinks you're a micromanaging ninny um, that's a problem right the gap could be that that could be the reason you don't win you don't get promoted or you you even lose your job eventually and don't, and, and it came out of nowhere because you did not understand how to manage lead and take care of yourself first and fundamentally in a way that's not going to mess with the business mm, that's so true i i just was um speaking at a gr- for a group of engineers last week actually and one of them was asking me about their their boss, who was awful. They said, you know, he just was always coming in in a bad mood. He barked orders. He didn't, you know, connect with them, connect with him. He didn't really, you know, he just felt like he was a loser. And I, and then he's, I know. And then he, I said, well, unfortunately, were you able to like engage in conversation? Because he has a whole lot of stuff going on that you're not aware of. Were you able to engage in conversation? He goes, no, I, I left. I left. And I'm thinking, man, how many leaders don't even, um, you know, I know there's not a statistic, but how, how leaders just really don't realize how they're showing up unless someone has the courage to say, hey, this is what I see. That, is, that, is that your intention? And which brings me to my next question is how much do you think intention is just as important as self-awareness is that as a leader, we really have to make sure our intentions are coming across. Well, here you go asking me these tough questions. Are we about done? Cause I can avoid this one. If I can run out the clock on you, <laughs> gosh, it's the reason why I love podcasts and Q and a sessions after I speak, because I'm going to give you my unfiltered answer. Perfect. I, I think that intentions are incredibly important, but only matter when you have a bank account with people. Because if you don't have a, if, if you haven't invested in people and gotten to the point where they, they kind of trust you and believe you, then you do something. Your, your intention was right, but your action is something that's could be very bad or at least not good. Mm-hmm. And uh, all of a sudden people are like, whoa, what just happened? And then you're sitting here trying to explain to them, no, this is what I meant. And you can do that, but it sounds a bit hollow. And and so I, I noticed your reaction was quite positive. And I said, if you have a bank account with them, then what happens is they, it's possible they might just say, whatever, I'm fine. You know, it, it, it's a little bit of a decrement from the uh, bank account, but it doesn't matter because I know what to expect next time and the next time. And this feels like an anomaly, by the way, if you if you do that a few times in a row. You change your relationship and change what's, uh, what people think about you. I, I saw something the other day which was right along these lines, and I loved the line. It said, we evaluate ourselves based on our intentions and others based on our action, on their actions. Mm, yes. I thought, how beautiful is that? Right. I meant to do this, and it hurt you, so I can be okay with myself because I really meant well. You just need to get over it because I meant well, I, I promise. Whereas you did something and it caused me to be late to get home or late for a meeting. And I don't care what your intention is at all. You messed with me because your act, the actions that came out of it didn't say you cared about me. And I thought mm. it was a beautiful little statement that's very true. Yeah. 
Well, you talked about, you mentioned a bank account. So tell us more what that bank account looks like and what do you fill it with? Because it's not technically money with a bank account. So your bank account is, is a combination of a, a number of things, which include your words, your actions, your deeds, your body language, your tone. And, and what happens is you pour that into the people around you. You pour it into the business in when that happens, it's usually in the way of processes or policies, and those need to be consistent with what you've put forward so that the people that have to deliver them to customers don't have to get uh, sideways with customers. Having bad processes and policies is very common and normal, unfortunately, and so you get people that are grumpy because they're having to present something to a customer that's not good, and they get yelled at a lot, right? So, so a bank account is just like a personal relationship. It enables you to have a bad day or to take a right when you should have gone left, make a mistake, and cause problems for somebody else, and they can react to it, and they can give you feedback on it, but at the end of the day, it, it doesn't mess with your relationship with them at its core. Mm-hmm. And so those bank accounts are hugely important. And and one of the things I love to do is is when, whenever I got a new job, let's say I had a span of control of eight to one, I would get six or eight directors or vice presidents working for me. I'd think, okay, I, I need, I, I might not know any of them to any extent. I need to start to understand them and get to know them so they know me because them knowing me and what to expect from me and, and me providing them consistency and clear understanding of who I am. Forget the business for a second. I get the business. We'll, we'll, we'll do the major projects. We'll get after it. But the people that are working for me, I want them to start to understand who I am at my core so that when I do something, they get it. I am extraordinarily impatient to, to the point of embarrassment. I, I grind my teeth if I have to wait behind two people somewhere. <laughs> I, I get fussy and I whine and I'm just not good. It's not good. If, if people know that, it's fascinating. We'd be in a meeting and my direct report team would realize I, I, I start wandering with my eyesight. I start shaking my leg and they're like, he's going to get up and walk out of the meeting because he, he's impatient. So if they needed me to sign something, they would quickly go into action. Okay, get it in front of him right now because pretty soon he's leaving. And I thought, okay. I'd like to be less impatient. I'd like to say I work on it. I, I'm 59, for goodness sakes. I, I'm trying, but it's not going to change much. But having people understand that I know it, embrace it, and if they can manage me with it, that's okay. That Wow, that's beautiful. And how great self-awareness that you have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it just goes to show uh, the character of who you are as a leader, that you're willing to share that I have a lack of patience where you're not holding yourself in such high regard. You're unwilling to share, you know, what, what is challenging for you? Um, Yeah. Uh, Thank you. That meant a lot to me. I don't meet people and think that I'm better than them. I I came from a alcoholic family and one of the tough parts about it is nothing's ever good enough, but, but there's a, but that leads to a positive there's also this interesting dynamic that you're very rarely overconfident or arrogant about anything because you've spent 18 years not being allowed to do that. Mm. And so that, that you know, you got to em- embrace the positive sometimes when you make it through something and say, hey, um, this works. And that's why I treat servers and secretaries or admins no different than I do founders and CEOs. Because to me, there isn't any difference. And that's one of those things that, you, it, well, it's hard to teach yourself that. You're kind of getting ingrained that way or you're not. 
you know, I, I, I agree. And I think that as children of alcoholics, because I am too, I feel like we get a different view of the world that give us different skills on how to lead rather than someone who didn't have to navigate that as a, as an early childhood, we'll put it that way. Wow. I'm clapping <laughs> even though we're on a podcast. Is that okay? I'm clapping. Of course, of course. I think that's, I, I think that's extraordinary. I was the pleaser in my family. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that, by the way, you don't get to choose your role. Your role just chooses you. you. Yep. Agreed. <laughs> I totally agree. Yes. Yeah. And so I, I, I read, rooms really well because it was my job to do that as the pleaser to kind of see what what might be happening in the next five minutes mm-hmm. and 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 I lead that into one of the, the my favorite slides in all of my presentations and it has to do with the importance of consistency there's all sorts of things that I value vulnerability Brene Brown can talk about that till the cows come home in yes. incredible ways but consistency is amazing because I didn't have it when I was growing up mm-hmm. and so I, I what it does is it takes away your ability to really pay attention to a whole lot of stuff that's out forward because you're not sure exactly what's going to, what's transpiring in the next five minutes and 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And, and I realized I've had one boss that was very inconsistent and it, and it tore away the organization's focus regularly. So we weren't doing as well as we should externally because we were worried about the internals. I, I talked pre- this kind of dovetails with something we talked earlier. Mm-hmm. And that's why that, that word consistency is so important. I, I don't, it's not as important that I'm impatient. I'm glad I know it and I, and I joke about it and I can make fun of myself. But at the end of the day, if people around me know it and they can figure it out and they know that I know it, it, it diminishes the uh, bad stuff that can come from that and you can handle it. Right. If, if you know, I I was around Sam Walton. You had mentioned the Walmart thing, and I got a chance to be around him for about a year and a half. And at the same time, Jack Welch was the CEO of General Electric, and they they couldn't be any more different. Mm-hmm. Jack Welch was much much more, for lack of a better term, harsh or direct, or more of a crit- critiquer, even publicly. Whereas Sam Walton wouldn't have done that for n- no way. He just mm-hmm. that in the way he operated, mm-hmm. and. If you worked at GE and didn't expect that, you're a fool because that was Jack Welch. If you worked at Walmart and didn't expect Sam to, Mr. Sam to be the way he was, you were a fool. That's what they do. And that consistency actually enables an organization to not worry about it and move. Mm. Wow, that is definitely a skill set. <laughs> that is definitely a skill set. Always thinking five steps ahead. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. We, you know, as children of alcoholic, we don't get that role that chooses us. And I was the peacemaker, which is why I think I'm good in mediation now. <laughs> I'm a mediator oh, and, oh, sure. and help solve leaders, solve, you know, be able to communicate effectively within their team. I agree. You can read the room, you can walk in and yeah. fairly quickly after some interaction, I can figure out who who has a good sense of humor and you can kind of get bust, bust them a little bit. And yep. Who, who you need to treat more deferentially and, you know, in, in, in a room. And that comes from uh, learned behavior over 18 years. I agree. And so, you know, take us back. You went to college. You um, started at Procter & Gamble right out of college. So when you started, did you have goals and hopes and dreams of becoming who you are today? 
Or were you like, okay, let me just get the next promotion or let me, you know, move up the ladder, so to speak. Or were you thinking I want to start my own company one day? I'm going to pound on myself a little bit here. So don't feel uh, uncomfortable about it. It's just fact. First of all, I did four years at Vanderbilt history major, couldn't get a job. So I did two years of business school. So I had another degree in there in between that that you laid out, undergrad, MBA, and then PNG. I could not begin to fake it that I had some sort of plan. I I didn't think I was going to start my own business. My parents were both teachers. My mom was a stay-at-home mom until I was 10 or 11, and then she became a teacher. I knew farmers, and I knew professors' kids. I, I sometimes dramatically say I didn't know anybody that had anything to do with business. That would be an adult or a kid. And it's not bad or good. It's just different. Mm-hmm. And 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 so... That's one of the major reasons why the answer that I gave you is I didn't have that plan. I really like the idea of marketing because I think it has to do with really understanding people's psyche, deliver a position and and differentiating message and enable people to make a choice and they choose me. And I think that's kind of my competitiveness. One of the things I am is I'm competitive. So I was like, wow, we can do this, you know, and, and tight is I don't know, maybe it's a 40 share of the laundry category and the goal is to get to 45. And I worked on Crest and, uh, you know, you're trying to get shared. So that's the way I thought about it. I didn't think about it as senior exec at P&G. I didn't think about it as, well, maybe I'm going to have to move two or three companies in order to work my way up. I really tried to pick, well, because of the lack of consistency and I wasn't a planner, I really would say I kind of lived, my long-term horizon was a month. Okay. Mm, okay. It's just kind of a weird thought, isn't it? That That's no long-term horizon, but that's what it was because anything was that far felt a little foreign for me to be planning, but that's okay. And this is when I was single and I'm not talking about family vacations. I'm just trying to figure out how Harry Campbell is dealing with life as a marketer at PNG. Yeah. Um, I, I was celebrating the fact that I had a great job at a company that was renowned and I was learning. I was a blank slate when I showed up at PNG, having teachers for parents and a history major. I did have business school, but that, that wasn't that much. And so PNG loved me because they're very process oriented. They're very employee oriented and they don't want you to think you know what you're doing because they have a way that they want you to do it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people chafe. They get there. They have an entrepreneurial spirit and they leave after a year or two. Steve Ballmer stayed for a year or two in marketing and then went to join his college buddy, Bill Gates, to found Microsoft because mm-hmm. He didn't want to be bound by all the processes and this is the way you do it at PNG, but I was rich for that. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what I was doing. And so learning that way is fascinating, but it also sinks in the PNG way, which are a few principles. First of all, it doesn't matter what the industry you're in. They move you every 18 to 24 months. They'll move you from um, mouthwash to, to a shampoo to constipation medicine, like <laughs> Madame Mutual. I was a brand manager. You haven't lived till you've, no, never mind. Focus groups. Uh, oh, I bet that was exciting, entertaining, yeah. and entertaining. Yeah. Um, but th- so they move you, and therefore, sometimes someone will say, Well, you can't run that company because you don't have any experience in it. And I'm like, Well, why? I'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. I have a set of skills that I'm not a tech, I'm not a telephone guy. I'm not a sports marketer. I'm not a refractive eye surgery guy. And I've run all those types of businesses. 
those are the kind of things you learn at P&G and, the, and, and you learn about marketing and you learn about treating people extraordinarily well so they'll stay and they'll put their energy into the business. So all these kind of germs of ideas I got at, when I was there and what I was doing was I was writing the tablet of Harry Campbell as I learned, but I was doing it on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis. And I'm not going to kid you, I wish I had planned more and I'd done some different things and at times when I made decisions and wise in the road, but I didn't because uh, that wasn't my nature. Mm. I love that answer. I love that you are only looking at a month out. So many times we we talk about goals and we're like, oh yeah, I, I've got it all mapped out, my 5, 10, 15 year. And then what ends up happening is life gets in the way and then we fall apart. Uh, it's like our life is devastated because we, we w- went off track. And I think you have such a gift in order to only go that month out because then you're able to be in the moment and in the present and allow, notice the opportunities that were presented to themselves rather than getting so stuck in what I call blinders, so driven and focused, uber focused in the wrong direction. So Um, I definitely have a gift. You just made my day. Now I can call that a gift. Okay. The, the lack of planning is a gift, it, it, but it's truth. And I, I own that. That's one of the things you learn as you get more and more experiences. If it's real and, and it's you, then you need to own it or change it if you want. But it is. It, it, it has worked as a gift. When you were talking, it, it struck me in my third book, Get Real Mindset. I talk about three different things in the entire books based on the premise of three points with the right mindset. That's being a tractor, be somebody that people want to be around. Mm-hmm. There's a whole lot of depth behind that, but that's key. The second one is embrace the crookedness. And the third one is live to learn. Mm-hmm. Embrace the crookedness is exactly what you said. It's not about integrity. It's about the crookedness of life. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't care what my, my plan could be. I have a four o'clock meeting and I get in a car wreck and can't go. And something crazy happens as a result of that, or it can be as it happened with our family. My wife had some numbness in her left side and was diagnosed with a inoperable malignant brain tumor. And you can't make this stuff up. So you got right. pivoting going on. You got body blows that are hitting you. Sometimes things go well. Sometimes the problems you have happen to be, it's like a little pile of trash in the middle of the road and you do a little swerve and you miss it and you stay in your lane and nothing happened. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's huge. But in my book, I talk about embracing crookedness. And the reason why I love that is first of all, life is not straight. It is never going to happen the way you planned. It might be really close, but never. Right. Never exactly. And the word embrace is a good one because you don't just handle it or deal with it or whatever. I say embrace it because expect it, pivot, get after it. You can feel sorry for yourself. I'll give you seven minutes. Okay, go ahead. Complain, complain, whine. Okay, now you're done with that. What, what's the plan you're going to come up with? What are you going to do next? And the, you, you can talk about that as grit and resilience or whatever, but the, it, it is fun to really point out to people that the winners are the ones that handle the crookedness of life way better than others. I think the most important thing about that is the word embrace, because if you expect it, you're like, okay, wow, I didn't know what was going to happen. I knew it wasn't going to be perfect, but that's what happened. What am I going to do and how are I going to do it? I, I, I just love that. I have invested in a number of companies in Kansas City, and, and, I, and the reason I bet on people is because of this. 
they, they may have to pivot three times in the next four years, and they may have to start over and break their lease and start working from home and hire somebody to work out of their garage. And I, I don't know what the, what's going to happen, but at the end of the day, I want someone that that thrives in that and that gets their blood pressure up. They're willing to feel sorry for themselves. I'll go back to it. Give them seven minutes. You can complain or something. And then let's figure it out. Don't put your thumb in your mouth, curl up into a fetal position and get under your desk. I got no time for that. And it's also when I when I try to evaluate businesses to buy, it's you got to have a decent idea, but the people are matter. The other thing is when I've been hiring in the companies that I've been in, I look for people that have competed at a high level in either dance, debate, or sports. And the reason why I love those people is because they've won, they've lost, they've cried. They've probably been cheated or at least felt like they did. They've had a competitor that did something that was a little shady, maybe illegal, maybe unethical. They, they've thrown up. They, they've yeah. looked bad. They've looked good. They've done all these things. And you know what? If they're standing that in, in pretty high level, they've uh, got some accomplishments. And so they know what it's like. And then they're more likely to be able to handle things. That's at least my my take. And I love that. And I, I always put sports third because people think that sports is where the competitiveness is. Hey, let me tell you. Uh, no debate and dance just as much intensity and mm-hmm. and competitiveness going on in those things as as sports honestly we sometimes we compete with ourselves every day so yeah Beautiful. Um, i uh i i don't go to work now but i time myself to work every day of my entire career so i would be at one place for three or four years and we'd get together in an all hands meeting and the first thing i had to do was announce to the organization what my fastest time had been and how recent it was because it was something that i did all the time and at dury vision um 17 stoplights and four and a half miles and i got it down to where i was like one day i made 16 of the 17 stoplights and it was like eight minutes and 22 seconds and i got out and i was like dancing around in the parking lot like i've got to tell somebody right (laughs) right yeah it's like typing in the address in your gps and you actually get there before (laughs) that yeah yeah exactly exactly well I, i thank you so much for sharing your story for being vulnerable about your wife and please share with us how she's doing she's doing extraordinarily well she has some symptoms on her left side. Her tumor is enmeshed in her motor cortex. There were some, the, the bell curve on what she had and when she was diagnosed didn't look good. And she's on the good end of that, the tail. And so she's 17 years in and we never believed that that was going to be the case because you're never quite sure, but she handles it extraordinarily well. Mm. And that matters because we've got two older kids, 26 and 24, and then we've got a little guy, 13. So we got a guy that's uh, just finishing seventh grade. He keeps me young, by the way, or vice versa. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. And thank you for asking. We're, we're dedicated to raising money for Head for the Care, which is a Kansas City-based charity that really tries to attack brain cancer. Matt Anthony, former CEO of VML, lost his brother to the disease. And we are Team Chris Campbell is what we operate under, are getting after it. And by the way, my speaking business separately, you had said grow speaking fees. I'm getting really close to $500,000 donated and raised for the uh, cause. So I'm fired up. It'll happen in the next two or three months. Wow, that's exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. What a what a testimony to to one your your love for each other and your love for her because I think that when we go through what did you call him crookedness in the road, support is extremely crucial. 
Yes, that's my sense of purpose in uh, a lot of ways right now. And I'm good at speaking. I love it. And it helps support my family. Three for three. Yes. Awesome. Well, we're getting it's close to the end, but I do want to make sure that people can connect with you. And so where can they find you and your social media or website, your books, all, all of the things? Sure. HarrySCampbell.com is my website with my speaking info, my bio, and the link to the books, which are on Amazon and Kindle, as Shay said earlier. I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. I will warn you on Instagram, it's more personal, and so you get a lot of stupid stuff from me because I love making fun of myself. But if you can put up with that, and you got a good sense of humor, join. If not, don't do it. It's not worth <laughs> it. You can just stick with LinkedIn and uh, Facebook. I have a I think it's called a fan a fan page, whatever it is. It, it's not a personal, separate from my personal Facebook. I have a Harry S. Campbell. I usually use the S in the middle to differentiate whether it's personal or business. Got it. Okay. And there's just a couple more questions. So what would you like to be remembered for? What would be your legacy? I'd love people to say that my goal in life was to try to make a difference, a positive difference. And you do, Harry. And every time I, I get I get the amazing chance to speak with you, you're always making a difference in my life. So I know you're making a difference in this world. So oh, thank, um, you. thank you. You're welcome. And one last question before we go. It has just been amazing to have you here. And thank you so much for your time and just sharing so many nuggets with us. So what phrase, scripture, or mantra are you living by right now? Wow. I love that. I would say attitude, attitude, attitude mm. leads to the right sense of purpose to make a difference every day. Mm. And you I, have. I, 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 attitude is so important to me and the people I'm around, it brings me up or brings me down depending on their attitudes and how they operate. And I, wow, it matters. Well, and you have one beautiful attitude, so I love it. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to listening to The Power of Investing in People with Shay Sparks. If you enjoyed this episode, because I know you did, I mean, Harry dropped some major wisdom nuggets. We invite you to go over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. Until next time, let's get fired up. Don't turn this off just yet. Does the thought of collaborating and connecting with a diverse group of creative thought leaders appeal to you? Do you have a compelling story and don't know where to start? Have you ever thought about writing a book and thought about writing the whole book is overwhelming? Well, we are looking for you. We want to connect and collaborate with other podcasters, coaches, and entrepreneurs who want to gain exposure. We are looking for other people who want to co-author a book with us. You can find out more details at firestartersbookproject.com.